0: This is Cybite, episode 111, for December 3rd, 2013. Welcome to SciBuy, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on a Tuesday and fresh on a Wednesday over at Jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. All right, Heather, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Today, we're going to take a look at how you remember things, 3D printing dinosaur bones, A SpaceX launch, India's Mars orbiter mission, China's China's lunar rover, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week.
0: That sounds fantastic, Heather. We better get started before I forget about our first story. All right, where do we start in the news tonight?
1: I see where you went with that. Forget the first Uh, news story. You
2: see
1: what I did? Uh, It was very clever. (laughs) Thanks. Very, very clever. Thank you. All right, so using a video game in which people navigated through some sort of virtual town, delivering sold. ob.
0: I'm sold. That's all. I'm good.
1: <laughs> yeah, virtual reality game. There we go. But they have actually um, delivered objects to specific locations. A team of neuroscientists have discovered how brain cells that lock in spatial information, sort of what the article called geotags, for specific memories are activated right before those memories are recalled.
0: Like, uh, like when you smell something, like parts of your brain are activated and then, then you recall something that kind of like uh thing that, that kind of recollection rec Re- yeah, yeah, recollection. Yeah. yeah.
1: But it's, it's more along the lines of spatial memory, like exactly where you are. So you can, it's a combination of when they were walking around this map, they're allowed to wander around the, this little room for, you know, this little, uh, Virtual town for a little while, yeah. And then they said, "Okay, here, you found the uh, the hardware store. Here, go deliver something to the hardware store." And when they got there, they'd say, "Congratulations, you delivered a screwdriver." And they'd say, "All right, now go to this other store." When they got there, they'd say, "All right, you you delivered a blank." So it was when they got to the location, they rem- they found out what what they delivered. Hmm. And so then when they went back, and then they said, all right, well, now, you know, blink the screen out. Now, remember as many of the items as you delivered in the order that they came to mind. So that's sort of this correlation went through and said, okay, well, how are they connecting the location that it happened at? Hmm. In this specific case, they actually had... um, Sometimes in uh, epilepsy scientists uh neurologists will um, embed some electrodes in the brain to help with the uh, with the epilepsy. Yeah. And so they actually had a group of people that had that essentially system wired up so they actually had very deep um scanning into the brain for these people.
0: I kind of so. do something the reverse of this uh I I use geo I use geolocation on my smartphone to remind me to do something when I get to a location because oh. I'll forget it but if I save if I save uh kind of frequent locations to my phone that I go to like the grocery store or back when I was going to clients a client's office then mm-hmm. and I say then I can mark those as locations in my to-do app and then I say okay the next time I'm at this location you know the GPS pings that I'm here remind me to do X cuz I don't ever remember and by the time I go there the next time, I'll I, I won't remember. But the phone remembers yeah. for me.
1: Yeah. Well, in in this study, they showed that if they could actually show them a a picture of where they were, then the researchers kind of kind of predict hmm. whether or not they um, recall the proper thing. So now, of course, they can't really distinguish whether they're actually helping pull up those memories. They just kind of see both areas activate where it's um in the hippocampus, which is...
0: They don't actually know what it means. They just know it's been triggered.
1: Well, they don't know precisely whether one is triggering the other. Yeah, it's just that they see um, activity in the hippocampus, hippocampus where tracking location information and spatial memory events. So they're seeing while they're trying to remember... Let's see. I delivered a screwdriver. I delivered a birthday cake. While they're while they're remembering what they what they delivered, then the the memory center for locations started lighting up. So they can see there's definitely some sort of correlation there. Now I kind of viewed that as like for people giving directions. Often I do a lot better with visual cues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So.
1: By the way, Google Maps Street View is the best thing ever for that for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Because
1: then I like, all right, I have to take a right on Florida. Hmm. So then I drop down onto that street. I'm like, okay, that's there. That's there. What's this
0: intersection look like? What's the light situation? What should I be expecting? What lane do I need to be in? All that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's definitely that where where I see the picture of it and I'm like, oh, yes. And then I remember what I should do.
0: Yeah. I also use it like, okay, once I get to the destination, what's the front door kind of look like? <laughs> That's very handy Oh wait, well.
1: The best thing ever. I had um, a new doctor office that was buried deep inside this stupid hospital. And so, you know, of course, the parking lots, there's mm. four different parking lots, six stories tall. So I took my phone out and i snapped photos. I'm like, I'm on this level. Oh, <coughs>
2: yeah. Yep,
1: And, like, as I hit each intersection or each elevator, I, like, took a picture or, like, all the signs as I went to the office. Made your own breadcrumbs. So I could follow my way back. And at <laughs> one point, there was a security guard, like, looking at me. I'm like, I'm finding my way back.
0: Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not doing anything <laughs> weird.
1: But it was that thing where I'd see the picture of it and they'd be like, oh, yes, I go this way. So, yeah, there's a lot of, of course, everyone remember, is able to remember things differently. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely it's kind of talk to me because I'm very visual in that fashion. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. And it's interesting mixing in uh, the, the virtual reality aspect of it, too, to kind of trigger. If you can get an area to look enough like the real place, so that way you can mm-hmm. kind of implant some of those suggestions or, or re- memories yeah. or help trigger them. That's a really fascinating use of virtual reality. And Heather, one day, I assure you, the holodeck.
1: Ah, then they'll be able to study it like that.
0: Yeah, they'll just uh, put you on a holodeck and say, "Have at it, Haas, and go, uh, f- go. Remember to your, uh, to your green in the face."
1: <laughs> That's what they're gonna make the hol- for the yeah, holodeck for, originally. They're gonna do yeah, it for these that, sort and of other, that and
0: other things that we'll we won't get into. But uh, yeah, all right, Heather, well, any other thoughts on that story.
1: Uh no, if I can remember them. Oh, geez. oh, yes. There we go. One last one.
0: All right. Well, let's take a quick break right here because I got something kind of fun and kind of exciting. So. uh... Boy, a crazy couple of weeks here at the Jupiter Broadcasting Headquarters. We've uh, been discontinued from Amazon with our affiliate program, and we're trying to help raise some income for the end of the year to get us through the rest of the year, and we decided to do something fun. That way everybody can get themselves something and still help us out. So we have launched a limited edition Jupiter Broadcasting shirt. It will only be available for one week and four days more from this here broadcast. And Heather, we have a long-sleeve shirt, but I know it's cold where you're at. So today, we also launched uh, a hoodie. So you can get a hoodie a Jupiter Broadcasting hoodie and get all warm. We've also got a ladies tee in there and a regular t-shirt if uh, folks want a regular Jupiter Broadcasting t-shirt. So uh, if you go to teespring.com slash Jupiter 2014, we'll also have uh, a link in the sh- in the uh, sidebar on every page on Jupiter Broadcasting. So teespring.com slash Jupiter 2014 and you can get the epic 2014 t-shirt or hoodie or long sleeve, whatever you want. And uh, we're right now at... Uh, 358 of uh, 499. Now, no shirts unlock if we don't reach 499. I'm I'm hopeful. I think we're gonna make it because we're 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 making good progress. We still have a week to go, Woo. and I think we're gonna get there. And then we'll have a, a brand new Jupiter Broadcasting shirt, and you can get one for Yay. yourself. Get one for family members. Give out the gift of Jupiter Broadcasting. I mean, you could, yeah. yeah, if you were an animal and you wanted to attack it like an animal attacks it, you could be a shark if you want. I'm down with that. I don't know what that means. Anyways, teespring.com slash Jupiter 2014. Help us get through the rest of the year and also get yourself a great shirt. I really like the way that logo turned out. And that yeah. bright white on that dark black is going to look awesome. All right, Heather. It looks good. Should we move into the news bite? Let's go. Ho-ho! All right, what are we talking about in the news bite?
1: All righty 3D printing dinosaur bones. Of course. So actually, we did uh, a. Yeah covered a very similar story in a special side bite a few weeks ago that uh, Nikki and I did that was about 3D printing in dinosaur bones. Okay. In this specific story, during World War II, a bomb fell onto the Museum of National History in Berlin on the East Wing, which collapsed a whole basement where all these dinosaur fossils were stored. Now, those bones that were blasted into dust (laughs) had all their labels were burned off no one could really identify. And in order to protect them, they'd been just slathered in concrete jackets. So all they have is these chunks of concrete that have no label, have no anything to them. So they were trying to figure out what to do. So hmm. what they were able to do is they had, they knew in this area, there were bones from two separate expeditions that they had had. Uh, one to Tanzania and one to... um Germany. Halsberdat's uh, Helz- Germany.
0: Halsberdatz. Yes. Know. I'm just trying.
1: And what made it even more fun was if you could sort of make out any letters that were on it, on one expedition, all the labors were, letters were based upon where they were found. And in the other expedition, they were all based upon what kind of animal it was.
2: Mm.
1: So there was a confusion of that as well. Yeah. So a recent study... T- out one of these specific fossils. They went, okay, we're going to look at this one and see what happens. So they w- they took it out and they, you know, it's encased in this concrete still. So that, that's what they did to transport it to Berlin in the first place. So they put it in a CT scanner and from that they revealed that it was a, a vertebrae from a hmm. And they're able to sort of and from that CT scan, they were actually able to use a 3D printer to print out a copy of this fossil. And from that, they're able to kind of, thats part of what helped them to identify it. And from there, they're able to compare it against uh, sketches from those scans a long time ago and show, hey, this is where it came from. If it was this dinosaur and it looks like this, it came from this specific spot in this uh, dig in Germany. Mm-hmm. And there's a— Because of the, the scans showed fractures and they printed it out and they're like, yep, some of these fractures are from fossilization and you'll find that in a lot of fossils. And then there was one corner of it that was definitely crunched up. That was probably from the bombing.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: But so they did that and were from the 3D printout, they were able to kind of take all the different pieces chipped off that were in the rock and say, hey, here's a bone chip from the damage, plop, if it it's, hey, if it it's right into the vertebrae, right here, where we think it would have <laughs> broken off. Yeah. Just like great.
0: They made so their this own is, puzzle piece.
1: <laughs> they did. And this is the kind of technology that's really going forward because you can essentially rip the fossil out of the rock without having to do anything to the rock. Right. But the uh, the story that I covered a few weeks ago, what happened, it was a fossil from a quarry uh, here in Colorado and the specific rock that it was in, is very, very hard. And you have to chip away at the rock in order to get to the fossil. Mm-hmm. But the just the vibrations of getting it out of the rock could damage the fossil itself. Yeah. So in that case, they were able to scan it and 3D print out these fossils and say now they can get hands-on, kind of look at it, without putting any damage to the fossil itself. So in this way, you know, in general takes where there's something... They can scan out things that are perhaps in a very delicate situation where you might harm the fossil. Or with these, you know, blocks of concrete with fossils inside them, they can go through and they can scan. And you possibly print out some of these and say, okay, well, you know, this one's cool, this one's cool. Ooh, this one's very cool. We're going to put it to the side. That's going to be on the top of the list to try to extract from the uh, concrete and the rock whenever we can get a chance. So kind of let them go through these things and get quick hands-on view, you know, quote unquote, quick hands-on view of what's exactly in there looking at it. And so it's definitely a technique that's speeding up the process of being able to look at fossils, keeping them kind of safe.
0: Right. Without, yeah. With still getting to answer the questions without having to actually damage the fossil. That's so nice. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, If we can delay it by a couple of years, you know, we're like, okay, well, we can get hands on this for a couple of years, and maybe in a few years, there's safer techniques to remove it,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. or any way along those lines.
0: Yeah, very nice. All right, Heather, I'm going to bring the band in. They've been eating Thai food, so I'm not sure how they're going to do. But hey, guys, come on, let's go! All right, here we go! Thank you. All right. Good job. So what are we talking about in the uh, Two Byte News?
1: All righty. This last week, SpaceX was actually going for a launch. Right. On things, well, it was supposed to be starting on Tuesday. Yeah. And there was some minor glitch, and it got delayed till Thanksgiving Day. And actually, that was going to be, you know, like the first Thanksgiving Day launch in right. so <laughs> many years. Yeah. You know, and they had the countdown. Three, two, one. Yeah. Engines blast off.
0: Oh, really? And they stop. Oh.
1: It was moments away from liftoff when the uh, computer detected that the engines were building up thrust too slowly. So it automatically switched it off. Went to, you know, seconds before the the launch time, the computer was able to catch it and say, no, this is going to fail. Click. Yeah. Stop. So they went through and they were trying to resolve the problem. They saw that it was a pressure in one of the and uh, one of the tanks problems so they're like, okay, okay well can we erase that you know and it'll be fine they they weren't comfortable enough with it in order to do it so they went ahead and delayed it again. However, December 3rd
2: that's
0: today it that is
1: that is today the day this show was recorded they're actually able to lift off Oh good and so it is now the big part of this one specifically is that it is, the first entry that they've had to some large commercial satellites. This is actually getting into a geostationary orbit. So this means that it could, it kind of steps into the realm of um, large communications. Right. So once they can do that, they're like, okay, well, this is the first time that there's been a commercial launch from this specific launch pad in Florida. And it kind of gives them the, and the first commercial launch from there. Well, yeah, the first commercial launch is yeah. what I just said. Yeah. But so it really gives them a, a chance to break into a new realm and say, okay, well, now there's another option if uh, there's weather satellites or communication satellites from somebody. Now they have a, a new person. They be like, hey, SpaceX, mm-hmm. can you deliver this right. to us? Right. Now from this specific launch pad, they actually have another fifty launches that they have planned and actually over 60% of them are for commercial customers not just governmental. Oh. And so being able to do this, you know, means that they are now in the telecommunication satellite market and it's also they're trying to go for some certification. This is the second of three certification flights that they need to fly missions for the US Air Force under the Evolved Expendable Launch Vehicle program. Mm. Essentially, when it's certified, then they'll be a- eligible to compete for all the national security uh, space missions as well. So they're, you know, they're getting, they're going forward with the commercial stuff. They're getting certification for, you know, U.S. Air Force national security space stuff. So they're really moving forward with all this stuff being a open as as much as they can, and being able to serve as many people as they can.
0: It blows my mind how fast they move, um, and the fact that we've been able to pretty much watch this whole thing. Uh, I, it just, it is such a c- contrast from, I, I don't, I mean, it seems like when the, when we're doing government space launches, it was years between big events and now they're doing months. And like, uh, yeah. we, we, we we've seen them gone from, well, we're there, they've done a test launch to, yeah, now we're doing commercial stuff and we're getting into the heavy satellites. That's just so crazy. Yeah. I
1: remember Great. like all, all test launches and Hey, they're going to yeah. think about going to the space station. Yeah. Now the space station deliveries are getting routine for them and now they're going to Mm -hmm. all these satellite launches. It's really for them, it's they are on a time limit. They say, okay, we have so many customers to sell with this. We need to move forward and get it at a specific rate and do it on a decent, you know, pay scale for us and move on to the next item on the agenda as quickly as they can.
0: Absolutely true. Heather, the side by 2000 says, (laughs) oh, we have some updates.
1: That is right. The comet Ison. Oh, dear, Comet Ice on. Right, this was last ice versus year.
0: fire, right? This was a big deal. This was... Uh...
1: Yes, last year there were so high hopes. It was going to be the Comet <laughs> of Century. <laughs> That's right, Yeah, Because I had all my, my echoes <laughs> in. Century, <laughs>
2: Century,
1: And I was like, um,
0: maybe we'll not. See. Yeah, don't get your hopes we'll too up.
1: <laughs> and then if you went uh, a little while ago in early October, you know, somebody asked me about it again. And I went, oh, well, it's kind of looking iffy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But now it has had its time. It has had its moment of glory, and it was pretty much 15 minutes of glory for it. So They D- it didn't
0: make it, did it, Heather.
1: Yeah, that was the weird thing. It survived its trip around the Sun.: Oh. So we actually they were able to um, they were able to see it as it went around the Sun. The comet appeared in the view of the uh, European Space Agency's uh, satellite. And then on the twenty, early the 27th, on the 28th, it appeared to kind of brighten again. And then it was weird because it was as it was heading to it, they could kind of see it. And then the, I forget which one of the satellites, it was gone. Oh. They didn't see anything about it. They're like, oh, there it goes. You know, there was a big clamor like, that's it, show's over. <laughs> and then it showed up again. Oh. Not only did it show up again, it started brightening again. Oh. Which confused everyone. And so then all the scientists are going, um, um, science is weird, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They were essentially like, comets are very hard to, um, explain. Right. And then it dim again. And it's pretty much, it's going dimmer and dimmer. So the theory was that, I mean, at first they didn't see it at all when it, when it it was really close to the sun, then it showed back up again. And they were kind of confused about that. And they're like, okay, well, as it started coming out, they're like, "Well, maybe, maybe it, the sun stripped off a lot of the excess, and that's just sort of the the leftovers as it's jumbled together. Just
0: raw, it's just hard rock. All the water and moisture has been burned off. No more it, ice. Was,
1: well, it, we wouldn't have seen it if it had been done that.
0: Okay, but so because that's what then, we're seeing come off it, of, right? Is like the stuff burning off, right?
1: Yeah, it's the ice. Yeah, uh, sublimating. So it's like it's ice and taking off uh, some." dirt with it, essentially, a rock. Yeah, 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 So it's leaving a trail behind it like that.
0: Hey, I, I, I've i seen the movies. I remember when uh, Bruce, Le- uh, what what's his face, landed on an asteroid and planted uh, bombs in it. I've seen all that. I know how it works. Ar- Armageddon, remember, you, Heather? Arm- this,
1: this is where science, the, sci- the theater of the mind, Chris.
0: You've seen Armageddon, right, Heather?
1: <laughs> science is glaring at okay, you. Okay, sorry. But... <laughs> but they've they've seen comets act weird before. Yeah. They've actually seen a um a mass a coronal mass ejection hit a comet, strip off all of its tail. So it was completely gone. And then it got a new tail. So they've seen a lot of weird things happen with with comets, but this one definitely definitely confused them again.
0: Okay. Well, it was a good show. It was fun to watch it, at least. It
1: was and it had it hit a bright in there for a brief period of time. Right before it went to the sun, there were a couple of days where you could actually see it with the naked eye.
0: Yeah. Heather, and it was one do
1: you, last hurrah.
0: Do you, uh, now, do you know when our next big comet show is going to be? Because I, I mean, this was a fun one.
1: This was. Now, it's really hard to say.
0: Oh, OK. Yeah. So right. there's, You'll there's let us some know.
1: that know. Yeah. There's, if there are any uh, big ones pop up on my radar, I'll definitely let you guys know.
0: OK. We'll go on Comet Watch again.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: All right. Well, why don't uh, we uh, do a little spacecraft update? That's how you know it's time, right
1: there. That's right. Uh, Side so by uh, a couple weeks ago in November, and then in October, we we're talking about India's MOM orbit Mars orbiter mission called right. MOM. Called MOM, yeah, yeah, it's called MOM. So they actually were able to take their first ever image for them of Earth. Oh, so it was their first color image. They're able to take it looking back on uh, November twentieth. Uh, They're able to take it, sort of, at about the height and resolution that they'll be on Mars for a while. So it gave them a really good idea of how the
0: perspective, how the color camera
1: is working kind of. Yeah. Very good perspective of like, all right, here's how it looks. Here's what we should expect. Wow. And it actually, this is the one where they were kind of doing it on a, on the cheaper side. So they didn't just do one blast off straight to Mars. What they did is they launched it and they were going into elliptical orbits. Right. They, they got bigger each time. Yeah. And then finally it was able to swing off to, to Mars. And it did its last firing of the engine on December 1st, which means it's heading off and it'll be 10 months or so before it hits Mars. And so then they will kind of hit in a, a similar thing where they hit uh, elliptical orbits around Mars instead of going smaller and smaller until they can actually kind of view Mars for a little while.
0: That's really neat. I it's kind of it, it's kind of neat to see uh, what the perspective is when you look at it from Earth because that's obviously something that's much easier to for me to put in perspective. Mm-hmm. And I it kind of looks like there's a little bit of an Instagram filter on that photo. <laughs> <laughs> now China's also got something going on too, don't they?
1: They do. They have had their first ever launch of a lunar rover. It's headed to the moon, and it's funny they call it the YouTube rover. Not YouTube, but Y U T U which essentially translate to Jackrabbit oh. which involves some you know Chinese fairy tales type stuff. but so this little guy is going to uh, supposed be the first soft landing on the moon since the 70s, late 70s I think yes, yeah, since uh, 76. okay. So it, if it succeeds, so it's about uh, 150 centimeters five feet tall. About 120 kilograms, 265 pounds. So they've got a couple of cameras, a spectrometer, a little telescope, some radar, various sensors. So they're kind of hoping to maybe go three months on that thing. So it's just another kind of country heading on its way trying to uh, reach out into the system. Did
0: you, system. Uh, when you were reading about this, did you catch anything about in terms of where it is in relation to the Apollo landings?
1: Uh, it's going to be a decent enough distance from them. I'm trying to remember exactly the distance, but I'd I know that they was, wouldn't want
0: to like disturb the area if possible, so.
1: Yes, there was definitely a, a call out amongst that because there are there sort of rules, unofficial rules and then official rules about where you can land in perspective with other countries landers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't that way you don't want to interfere with their science or their historic areas, so yeah. Yeah. Well neat. Well keep us posted on that too, would you? That sounds like a definitely good one will. To follow. All right, Heather, we'll then jump into the time machine because it is time for us to go back. Close the door, right? Close the door. All right, here we go. Here we go. A little bumpy. It's a little bumpy. I'm sorry. I got to get the stabilizers fixed. It's the uh, quantum gyroscopes. This trip takes us 112 years ago, December 10th, 1901. Heather, what happened this week in science?
1: The first Nobel Prizes were awarded. Oh. So the King of Sweden distributed the first Nobel Prizes in the, according to the will of Alfred Nobel. And he'd actually left in his will provisions for this kind of awards and money for them and how to continue it on. Oh. And Actually, his story is kind of weird because he'd done that. And one day he's reading the newspaper and he reads his own obituary. Oh, what? Because they accidentally printed the fact that he had died before he died, which he thought was (laughs) fairly amusing. He thought that was fairly amusing. But when he actually did his will... Uh, provided for this. And the first Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded for the discovery of X rays. Mm. The prize in Chemistry was for uh, rates of react- reaction, equilibrium, and osmotic pressure. And uh, Physiology or Medicine was given for the work on serum therapy, particularly for uh, diphtheria. Mm.
0: That is the X-ray. I mean, wow. And so we are talking yeah. we're talking 112 years ago this week. That is that's really something 1901. Yeah. All right, well let me recalibrate the Cybot 2000 that way we can look up into the sky this week.
1: That's right. On Wednesday, December the 4th, at twilight you're going to be able to see the waxing crescent moon is going to be to the far lower right of Venus. On we roll on to Thursday, December the 25th in the twilight, now Venus is going to sit about Seven degrees to the lower left of the moon. Remember, five degrees is three of your middle fingers held it together at arm's length. And on Friday, then the moon will be high above Venus in the southwestern sky. So they're kind of doing a little dance over there. Hmm. And on Saturday, it'll be the earliest sunset of the year. Now, not the longest night. The longest night is December 21st. And in fact, the latest sunrise is January 4th.
0: Oh, so we're going to a window here of...
1: Yes. Now, it, it, the reason it doesn't all match up is because there's a difference between uh, solar uh, t- solar time and actual time. It's just because, think about it, as the Earth is rotating around the sun, so you're moving along this orbit. Now, one rotation of the Earth, at, at one point in the orbit, if you move forward... If the Earth moves forward just a little bit, then it's out of sync just a little bit. So up to 16 minutes across the year. Hmm. So it kind of throws things out of sync a little bit, which is why the earliest sunset, the longest night, and the earliest sunrise don't all match up. But on Saturday, it is the earliest sunset of the year. The planets in general this week. You've got Saturn at dawn. Saturn's in the east to southeastern skies. And it's, it's sort of popping back into view there for It was gone for a while because it was too close to the sun to see. And now you're being able to see it again as it moves farther and farther away from the sun now. Venus is still our bright evening star in mm. the southwest during or after dusk. And it won't be setting till about one and a half hours after dark. Mars is going to be rising at 1 a.m. Because it's a local... It's a night owl. And it'll be <laughs> moving to the high eastern skies by dawn. Jupiter, another popular planet on here. it be seven or eight PM local time, rising in the east to northeast. It'll be reaching its highest point about two AM. So in the evening, around twilight, you're gonna be able to see two bright things in the southwestern sky. That's where the sun is setting. That's Venus. And on the opposite side in the east-northeast, that's Jupiter.
0: Very nice. And of course, It's all outlined at the bottom of the SciBite show notes. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, find SciBite111, and then just scroll through that whole thing. Lots of goodness. You know that dinosaur bone we were talking about? 3D-printed dinosaur bone? Picture that in the show notes. So why would you go over there? Heather, is there anything else we want to cover this week?
1: Not that I can think
0: of. Wow. Well, how about that? Okay, everyone, we'd love to have you join us next week. You can do that live on a Tuesday over at jblive.tv, or you can download the show on a Wednesday morning. Don't forget, you can also contact the show. You can find our contact link at the top of the Jupiter Broadcasting site, and you can also go grab our limited T-shirt. It's just going to be one week and four days left over at teespring.com slash Jupiter 2014. Heather, thanks for the great show, and have a great week.
1: Thank you, and you too.
0: All right, everyone, thank you for tuning this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week.